bum bum bottom 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 bum
produced that beautiful costume that got me into a Marvel comic. But every time you cosplay as Don Greenwood, like I would say uh, a good amount of people will notice you as Don Greenwood. No, they'll they'll notice me as miraculous. Well, that's what I was going to say. The majority of the people who come up to you go like, miraculous. Yeah, yeah. And the first year... I really was, uh, uh, I would correct people and be like, I am so sorry. I am Don Greenwood. And um, and I, I let it get me down a little bit because I think that she's such a beautiful character and I do want everybody to be introduced to, the, to them. But also, like, Comic-Con is this place to have, like, these really warm and wonderful interactions and you get to commune with your fellow nerds. And I know that, like, one of the nerd love languages is correcting others, but it's not mine. So um, after a while, I was just like, especially if it was, like, a child and they're like, miraculous ladybug. I'd be like, yeah, you want to pick? Sure. You, I, I'll be I'll be a ladybug for you, Those child. are my favorite cosplay photos is Lisa's Don Greenwood pretending she's miraculous, <laughs> having a photo with a very excited child. Yeah. But... We have met really cool people who recognize Don Greenwood. And one of my favorite stories is a celebrity that you shouted out on the exhibit for, and then they recognized you immediately as Don Greenwood. I am so excited that you're bringing this up. I don't know if I've mentioned on this podcast, I'm a huge stand-up comedy nerd. And um, like Brad's encyclopedic knowledge of um, comic books, like that's my knowledge of of stand-up comedians. I just love them. And uh, I was walking through, dressed as Don Greenwood, having a blast, and I saw, just walking straight towards me, Wyatt Senak, who is so funny, so amazing, and he happened to have a TV show coming out uh, called People of Earth, where we watched the first episode, and it was really good. It just wasn't super accessible. But, um, and I was like, Wyatt Senak, I love your first album. You are so funny. And he's like, thanks, Don Greenwood. And I was like, what? Very of course, satisfying. Of course he's like a super nerd. Yeah. I love it. And you took a photo with him. And yeah. then in the background of the photo, we realized that he was hanging out with Emily Gordon. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Oscar-nominated screenwriter yeah. Emily Gordon. Really, really cool. Of course, the entire time at that con, we were looking for a Silver Surfer uh, cosplayer. And we just could not find one until we saw the most absolutely perfect Silver Surfer cosplayer in Todd Schmidt, who you can find on Instagram as uh, Live Long and Cosplay. That's right. We tweet that photo all over the place. And by we, it's actually you, because I was like, I look weird in this picture. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't love that photo, uh, but I tweeted all over the place. I tag everyone, you know, Mike Allred, Dan Slott, Tom Brevoort. Heroes all. Heroes all. And uh, Alana Smith, Tom Brevoort's assistant editor, uh, reaches out to us and sets up this photo to appear in Silver Surfer 200. But the key to getting that done is she needs permission from both me and Todd to get uh, our pictures in the comic book. And I'm like, well, I don't know Todd. He is a stranger. And uh, so the very next day we were like keeping our eyes peeled for an extremely buff man. And we did find him not dressed as a Silver Surfer, but dressed as Bobby Drake. Oh, yeah, the Iceman, yeah. Which was also a really spectacular cosplay. <laughs> it really is, really is. And so we got video of him saying, I am Todd Schmidt, and I approve this photo for Marvel Comics. Yeah, and, and so we sent that to Alana, and long story short, I'm in a Marvel comic, so's Brad's name. Yeah, photo credit Brad Gullickson. I can die happy. <laughs> uh, it truly is... Uh, like a momentous moment, a momentous moment. That's how those work uh, for the Gullicksons. And it's weird because it, it's 
something that uh, like my pa- my parents are not super like into comics. They don't they don't. Yeah, they, they don't, I, I wasn't into it as a kid. They don't they, swing that way. Yeah, and uh, it's something that my dad is legitimately proud of and doesn't completely understand. So, like the 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 two times we've walked into comic book stores with my dad, he's like, "Do you happen to have a copy of Silver Surfer 200?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the gift that keeps on giving. That's right, and we bought many, many copies. Oh, I think we bought every issue on the East Coast. <laughs> Frack, yeah, we did. (laughs) And then I want them just laid over my body in my casket when uh, I'm dead. I uh, think as I said that on a podcast, like this is legally binding. Uh, and well, you have I think to do you it. should probably get that in writing, Lisa. <laughs> uh, you know, it, we're on the third episode discussing Norin and Don, and I'm starting to feel the sadness take over because I'm really going to miss these two, but I'm, I'm trying to enjoy my burrito. That's right. And appreciate the episode as we're doing it right now. Be in the moment, be present. Be in the moment, be present, get excited. Uh, These two volumes of Silver Surfer, they take you through a lot of emotions. You know, the last volume left us hanging kind of low. And this one brings us back up again and then drops us down again. Uh, And and, and I, I this is like the meat of the already in slot run. And this is where I truly fell in love with this series as a whole and understood what they were going through Uh, at the same time. There's a lot of like backstory, a lot of history that you kind of need to know to understand what's going on in these two storylines. Yeah, so let's get into it. Up first, most importantly, is the 2015 Secret Wars miniseries written by Jonathan Hickman and illustrated by Isad Ribic. I love, love, love this series. It's maybe my favorite Marvel event series ever, trumping my love of Civil War, House of M, Secret Invasion, and the original Secret Wars, which came out when I was a little kid and spawned a bunch of really rad toys. Here's the deal. To appreciate Secret Wars properly, you probably need to read all of Hickman's Avengers and new Avengers stories, including his own Infinity Maxi series from a few years earlier. Actually, you might as well start all the way back at the beginning with Hickman's Fantastic Four series, because the stuff he sets up there pays off big time in the Secret Wars event. Yeah, do it now. We'll wait. Well, yeah, hit pause, read all of that, come <laughs> back. Uh, but you know what? We, we don't have time to cover all of that anyway uh, for the purposes of this Silver Surfer storyline. But here's what you need to know. Doctor Doom, through nefarious time traveling and magical shenanigans, obliterated the various Marvel multiverses but he took the inhabitants of a few of his favorite and placed them on Battleworld, a planet where he rules supreme. This means the characters from the regular 616 universe are living in dominions next to the inhabitants of Age of Apocalypse, the Ultimate Universe, the 1992 cartoon X-Men series, Age of Ultron, Old Man Logan, etc., etc., etc. And we'll talk about this a little bit more down the line of this episode, but that's basically why the Eternity we meet in the last day's Silver Surfer comic storyline is wearing the Doctor Doom mask. He's reshaped everything in his image. We should also talk briefly about the other crazy guy Norn and Don encounter during their time outside of space and time, Glorian. Um, I had never encountered this character before reading this series. So I, at, at one point I was like, is this a Dan Slott creation? But no, 
Dan Slott, he loves Marvel. He reaches back and grabs some interesting characters. Glorian is a human, uh, or he was a human. He started life as Thomas Gideon, son of the billionaire Gregory Gideon, and he first appeared in Fantastic Four number 34 in January of 1965. There are a ton of like 1% superheroes. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, and supervillains. Because what is Glorian? Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but the shaper of worlds, this kooky entity who was once a cosmic cube, like the one you see in Captain America, the first Avenger, but belonging to the Skrulls, reached out to Thomas and brought forth his latent psionic abilities. He just reworked him and turned him into a god, uh, which apparently all humans have these psionic uh, abilities, and uh, any one of us could be turned into a character like Glorian. Uh, but Thomas Gideon lucked out before Brad and Lisa. Uh, this allowed Glorian to manipulate reality, to mold and bend it to his will, but he can only shape reality up to about five miles and for about 23 hours. And whatever changes he makes are surface level, not actually affecting the person or object beneath the illusion. Although when he first became Glorian, he was told that his abilities may become stronger the longer he practices them. And the Glorian we meet in Silver Surfer has been playing God for quite some time. So hopefully his illusions can last a little longer. When we get to the second trade paperback of this episode, Citizen of Earth, the history of Zen law becomes incredibly important. Uh, but the history of Zen law is super confusing to decipher. Um, do we have time to get into that, Lisa? I, I'm very curious right now. So what we know about Zen Law is that it's the homeworld of Norrin Rad. Many years ago, Galactus came to the planet with a great big bib on his chest and ready to chow down. To prevent this gluttonous feast from occurring, Norrin Rad gave up his free will and became the Silver Surfer and the Herald of Galactus. He spent a bunch of years finding similar snacks for the Big G to munch on until the Fantastic Four snapped Norrin out of this horrendous cycle of atrocity, or actually Alicia Masters. Uh, here's where things get a little funky. Back in 1947, or whatever actual year it was considering Marvel's forever sliding timeline scale, while Galactus and the Surfer were frolicking through the spaceways, an alien species known as the Other destroyed Zen Law and all of its inhabitants. Lisa, when Galactus learned of this devastation, out of compassion or a need to keep his herald by his side, Galactus used his power cosmic and recreated Zenla and its people. Oh. Many years later, the surfer returned to Zenla and discovered that his beloved Shalabal was now the lover of Norin Rad's half brother, Fenin Rad. But it's all okay, because the surfer travels back to the year 1947 and discovers that Zen Law of today is only an illusion or a reflection of the planet he once knew. So, Lisa, the Shala Ball that we meet in the slot in Allred Silver Surfer run is technically not the Shala Ball the surfer once loved. How's that make you feel? Very confused, <laughs> especially considering how much history, like... Silver Surfer is acting like he has with this shallow ball. Right. Like, this is the kind of like detail that I hear, like when you give me these like little backstories of the characters where I'm like, huh, 
discounting this one. Yeah, and it's it's hard to say if Slot is really considering any of that stuff that went down with the illusion of Zed Law. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I don't know if there's another Silver Surfer storyline in between these two storylines that reneges that Zen Law illusion business either because there's been so many stories, right? Yeah. But this is what has lasted and landed on the Wikipedia page that I read. My indication that Dan Slott is not counting that as canon in this case is the lack of acknowledgement of the brother. Because mm. I feel like if one of my brothers <laughs> dated my ex, like... Fair Bowton. Yeah. I don't need. <laughs> I don't need that. Yeah, that's true. You know, at the same time, though, that's one of the things that frustrates comic book readers, and and, and including us. You know, when Donny Cates does Silver Surfer Black and makes no acknowledgement of Don Greenwood, and it's all about Shala Ball, we're hurt, right? Like, well, yeah. hold on. What about all that Don Greenwood business? Then we just go like, that's not canon to us, and then we move on. Right, and it's on the reader to decide what's Silver Surfer and what's not Silver Surfer. And for us, Silver Surfer is Don Greenwood and Norrin Rand. That's that's right. And there you have some delicious context for this episode. But Lisa, we got to talk about the Enneagram in love. How are we using Stephanie Baron Hall this week? We're using her book, The Enneagram in Love, A Roadmap for Building and Strengthening Romantic Relationships to Navigate the Uncharted, Ever-Expanding Spaceways of Romance Between a Silver Guy with a Guilt Complex and a <laughs> Blue-Haired Gal with a Super Specific Wardrobe. The Enneagram is a personality system that categorizes people by their core motivations, the underlying sense of yearning that, when unchecked, drives unconscious behavior. With the help of Stephanie Baron Hall in episodes 50 and 51, Brad and I have gotten to know Don and Norrin's Enneagram types as well as our own. The not-so-lone sentinel of the Space Boys is a one, improver. Don Greenwood is a two, helper. I am a four, individualist. And Brad is a seven. Yeah, I am. An enthusiast. Can't you hear it in his voice? Yeah, I'm enthusiastic. (laughs) What we haven't gotten into is the idea of wings. The wings are the two Enneagram types that are on either side of your core type on the Enneagram diagram. So if you're an eight, your wings are seven and nine. In previous episodes, I've said that your core Enneagram type is mutable. Rereading this wing section in part one, that is not the case according to Stephanie Baron Hall. She says here that your core type does not change throughout your life. Mm. I just popped out of my mom, covered in goo, like, hey, room <laughs> of strangers, see me as a complex and truly unique person. Gross. <laughs> I know. I personally believe that that is not the case. I think everyone's personality is an intricate tangle of defense mechanisms and reward triggers. And I think that huge events in our lives can change our perspectives and what our core motivations are. I'm going to continue to talk as if the Enneagram works that way, but I should at least acknowledge that that is not (laughs) what the book says. Sorry, Stephanie Baron Hall. This is not your podcast. She actually does have a podcast. Yeah, but not this one. Yeah, not this one. And I haven't listened to it, but I might. According to Stephanie Baron Hall, your wings have less to do with your core motivation, but have more to do with your behavior. You rely on your wings to help balance your behaviors of your core motivation, but they are still in service to the core motivation. So your core motivation is always your why, but your wings may influence your how. While your core motivation stays the same or not, I reject your hokum and substitute my own. Your reliance on your wings may fluctuate over time. Some people feel they favor one wing. Others may feel they have two balanced wings, while others feel like they don't use their wings at all. There is no value judgment on whether you use your wings or not. It's not like 
it's good or bad to use your wings, it may just help explain why two people with the same Enneagram type may mm. behave differently. So I am a four, which makes my core motivation wanting to know my true self better and wanting to be seen as an individual in the world. But I think I am super reliant on both of my wings. My wings are three, the performer, and five, the observer. Some of the type three behaviors include sensing the emotional energy in a room and being able to adapt to meet other people's expectations. They are said to have a chameleon-like quality that makes it easy to connect with others, but hard to connect with self. They stay busy to avoid feeling their feelings. They are productive, engaging, and adaptable. So I definitely feel like I use my performer wing a lot. Mm. I was actually a performance major, a music performance major in college. And I do tend to judge myself based on the last thing that I made. Like the three days after we record an episode, I'm... High as a kite. I'm yeah. happy with life. Yeah. Once it's gotten to five days past an episode, I'm like, I'm a waste of space. <laughs> I've produced nothing. I also do think that I chameleon a lot where I, I go into a room. I feel how mm. everybody else is behaving and I just kind of meet expectations. Yeah, you match them. Which always makes me feel super depleted and weird after every social interaction this is that true. I have. This is true. My other wing would be type five, the observer. They have a specific amount of energy for each day, so they go into conservation mode with their resources, energetic, emotional, material, to avoid being depleted. They manage fear or anxiety by collecting information they find calming. Fives are cerebral and thoughtful and can retain a lot of information, especially related to niche interests. So I feel like my fiveness is what I bring to the table when it comes to creating the notes for our podcast. Mm. I always super sweat all of the details when putting together, particularly the notes about the comic, because I feel like Brad is a little bit more versatile when talking about comics. Uh, Loosey goosey. So I like to have all of my little tidbits of facts to kind of help me feel safe. And like, I'm, I'm contributing to Mm. the conversation um, I also, like, during this pandemic, I've been obsessively checking all of the stats uh, of COVID mm. on the Virginia Department of Health page and discussing them endlessly with Brad, who is not interested. Uh, yeah, I can't take it. I can't <laughs> take it. Lisa, it's too much. So, Brad, you're a seven and enthusiast. Yes. So your core motivation is to have adventures while retaining your freedom to avoid boredom and discomfort. Let's see if you relate to your wings. All right. So on one side, you are a type six, the loyalist, which just so happens to be the type that Gambit is, according to Apple J on Twitter. And their behaviors are, they don't trust easily, but once they do, they are loyal and endearing. They are preppers. They create contingency plans for worst case scenarios to manage their fear and anxiety. They make survival plans for themselves and their community. Sixes are friendly, analytical, responsible. They make sure everything gets done. Does this sound like you at all? Well, that last bit about prepping, I don't really relate to. No. And the loyalist, I'm not even sure if that speaks to me either. Uh, Type six doesn't sound like you at all to me. Like, if anything, you avoid prepping at all costs. Correct. Spontaneity is the name of my game. That's very true. So let's see what's going on on the other side. Maybe you use that other wing. Type eight 
the challenger would be your other wing. They're often mistaken for bullies. They are fighting <laughs> injustice and will stand up for the vulnerable. They seek truth and don't mind dismantling cultural norms to find it. Eights can embrace their anger and confrontation. They can come across as larger than life, intimidating or intense, leaving others feel bulldozed and often feel they are misunderstood. I mean, there's there's some words in there that I object to, and there's some words in there that I relate to. I think there's an element of me that would like to think that I uh, challenge injustice and what have you, but I also don't think I'm overbearing in any kind of way. Or intimidating, or, even for your tremendous height. Yeah, maybe sometimes I'd like to think I'm intimidating, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think I am. Yeah, so I don't think you use your wings at all. Phew. Is I that a good you, thing? I don't know. It's not the, no value judgment. Okay, okay. You can use your wings or not. It's just going to set you apart from other sevens. All right, no value judgment then. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll I'll judge you later. Oh. <laughs> um, but people are not here to hear about us. They want to know about Don Greenwood and Norrin Rad. And what makes them interesting is that they are wings of each other. Don is a two, a helper, and Silver Surfer is a one improver which I think is the secret to why they relate to each other so strongly with having such different backgrounds. As a one, Silver Surfer wants to bring an ideal world into existence, and as a two, Don Greenwood just wants to be loved for helping, and there, are a, there is a lot of crossover behaviors from those two types. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're both on task and purposeful. Yeah. Let's check out their wings on their opposite sides. So Norrin Rad's other wing would be a nine, a peacemaker. Nines feel trapped between the demands, pressures, and attention of the outside world and the thoughts, feelings, and opinions of their inside world. They are often unaware of their undercurrent of anger because their attention is always on maintaining peace. They have only so much energy each day and fear disruptions will break the connections they have built with others. Do you feel like... Norton yeah. Rad displays any of these. Yeah, I think so. This is good. This is good. Particularly that feeling trapped thing between. Yeah, for sure. The standard he holds himself to and maintaining his connections. Mm -hmm. Don's other wings would be a three, a performer, which we've already gone over, right? Con Chameleon-like yeah, qualities, yeah. able to adapt. Very to Lisa of her. <laughs> Well, I'm saying that, like, this is where we see her at Greenwood Inn. Mm -hmm. That's where she turns the... Charm on and the personality on, yeah. Exactly. And I think that she does sometimes mask her feelings by going, like, okay, I have to perform in order to help. Yes. What I don't quite understand about the concept of wings is that they have to be the adjacent types to you. Like, I can't be a four with a wing two, even though when we have our family beach trips in the Outer Banks, I am the only one of my siblings who consistently helps clean up <laughs> after meals. Like, I'm helpful. I hope they're listening. I know. Well, they know it. Uh, but maybe I'm doing it to set myself apart mm. because I'm an individualist. Nobody else is cleaning, mm. so I'm going to be the one who cleans. Or maybe it's my performer side who is trying to take the temperature of the room and seeing that my mom would probably feel a lot more relaxed mm. if somebody helped clean or up. Or you're using your cleaning as judgment of them. That's true. Oh, maybe I'm a secret wing eight. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to... Table flip. Let's clean this kitchen. All I know is that I don't clean when I'm at home. That is for sure. That's, yeah, that's a thousand percent. That's on the husband's duties. That's right. Going into these next two volumes, I think we should keep our binoculars out to see if we spot any wings. We're going to wing watch. 
When is Don Greenwood utilizing her wings, being a bit of a performer or an improver? How about Norrin Rad? Is he ever stretching his peacemaker wing? I have another pet theory that I'd like to throw out there. Mm. In the last episode, I said that before he was Herald to Galactus, back on Zen Law, he was a seven, like you, an enthusiast. But his servitude and trauma resulting from his time as Herald was a nodal event that changed right. his core motivation to that of a one, an improver who wants to make the galaxy a better place to make up for his crimes. With the help of Don Greenwood, however, throughout their adventures together, Norrin Rad has the opportunity to process some of the guilt and trauma. Do we begin to see the return of his before Galactus sevenness? Mm, 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 I like this. I like this. Spoilers. I think yes. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Fun. However, Lisa, before we dive into that pool of cosmic rays and happiness, that fun you want to get into, we need to take a trip to the final frontier of affirmation. Affirmation. I haven't recorded the theme for this segment yet. Well, but it's going to be something like that. I look forward to that theme, but we need to talk about these lovely reviews you've been sending us, listeners. Thank you. We seriously appreciate it. Uh, this one comes from Aorta7391. Ooh, we know this one is going to have a lot of heart. It's, oh, it oh, I, oh, I get it. I get it. The title is This Newbie Loves This Podcast. Five stars. First off, what an amazing theme song. Oh, thank you. As someone who knows nearly nothing but the basics about the comic book world, I felt at home with this podcast. It's such a unique and amazing concept to use real life resources to discuss and analyze the relationships of comic book couples. Lisa and Brad have amazing chemistry and you'll be in the best of hands when you listen to this show. Tune in now. Yay. Thank you. Thank you, Aorta. I uh, love hearing like non-comic book people finding this podcast. Yeah, and more and more non-comic book people have been, and it's been a lot of fun because they bring a whole new perspective to the show, and it's an opportunity for us to sell some comics, right? Yeah, And yeah. that feels great. So keep sending in the reviews. It really keeps us going. I mean, some days uh, if they make our day, right? Oh, yeah. Because we can be in the dumps and we'll get a nice review and suddenly it's like, ah, the world's not so bad. Yeah. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Thank you for your words of affirmation. They're really great. I think you need to work on that theme song, Lisa. I think it's perfect. But getting into the rest of the show, the actual comic book or the comic books. This week, we are talking about Silver Surfer Volume 7, Issues 11 through 15, and Silver Surfer Volume 8, Issues 1 through 6. You've fully given up on giving all of the related numbers. You know, it's, it's you know, we know that Issue 200 is somewhere in there, right? <laughs> Exhausting. It's, it's actually volume eight, issue six, written by Dan Slott, illustrated by Mike Allred, colored by Laura Allred, and lettered by Joe Sabino. Basic plot synopsis snatched right off of Lisa's favorite summary site, Goodreads, which Huzzah. then snatches it right off the back of these comic books. The summary for The Last Day's story arc reads as follows. Time ran out and the Marvel Universe died. From the edge of Battleworld to the outskirts of Infinity, every planet and star was expunged. Every life force extinguished. There are no survivors except the Surfer, Don, and Toomey. How did they cheat death? And more important, can they figure out a way to bring everything back? And now, the plot synopsis for the storyline called Citizen of Earth. Everything changes for the Silver Surfer. He's taken Don Greenwood to the end of the universe. And now it's time to show her the most fantastic planet of all, Earth. 
But how will this trip lead to a fight with the ever-loving blue-eyed thing? Who is Alicia Masters? And why has the surfer never mentioned her to Don? And what action could put him in the sights of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers? I've thrown a lot of shade at the copy written for books we've read in the past, but these are great. I feel like they really encapsulate the spirit of the comic. They focus on what's really fun and exciting about each volume. Yeah, there's an art to describing a narrative, right? Mm -hmm. And so often, as as you see in this podcast, uh, they, they don't do so. They don't do so hot. You get the impression that they didn't read the comic. I feel like. For the most part, these Silver Surfer encapsulations have been right on the money. Yeah, absolutely. So getting into the very first issue, uh, which is issue 11, that is an epic comic, mm -hmm. right? Where the plot uh, tracks this Mobius strip. Uh, and the first time you read this comic, it's a little confusing. They do a really good job of kind of guiding you through the storyline, but I definitely feel like the first time through, I did miss parts. Yeah, same. But on the reread, so satisfying. Oh my gosh, I like this is this is art. This is high art mm -hmm. and craft. Because if you go to the back of the trade paperback, you can see all these behind the scenes photographs depicting the strategy that Slot and Allred put together. This is massive whiteboard and it's color coded. And in the upper left-hand corner, it says, new challenge, pull it off in 31 pages or less. It, incredibly impressive. Uh, as somebody who only has the most minuscule understanding of sequential art, uh, just from a reader's point of view, this is, um, it's flabbergasting. And it delivers on story yeah. and melodrama and theme, this idea that we can entrap ourselves in these thought patterns that we feel like we can't escape. Yeah, and it continues the concept of the Never Queen. You know, like it, it, this Mobius strip solidifies what separates her from eternity. Yeah, that she is the idea of possibility. Mm -hmm. And possibilities can only exist if we are exercising our free will. Yeah, absolutely. And what's happening here is Surfer is acting as herald for the inhabitants of New Haven, or what was New Haven, now that Galactus has eaten it. Uh, and he's trying to find a new planet for these guys. But every planet they go to, it's toxic to... 1,200 people. Right, because everyone has different biologies. And so he's trying just to get out of this region. This region's not working out. And to do that, he's going to fold space and time and warp away to get to another section of the universe. Uh, when he does this, they're also in the middle of a fight with these Terra Tears, uh, these characters that look like they're straight out of a Mobius strip. In fact, the area of the galaxy that they're in right now is the Jean Giraud uh, Expanse, who is Mobius. And these Terra Tears look like characters from an Arzak comic. All of that was like whoosh right yeah. over my head. But you did love that they're all speaking French. Yes, for that's some reason, fun. right? Uh, and space so he, French. He, space French, that's right, not real French. And when he rips into space and time, he creates the Mobius strip, which the reader is now trapped on, just like the audience. Because we're trapped on this Mobius strip, 
we get this kind of Rashomon, Nicolas Cage's snake eyes <laughs> effect. Yeah, that's right. The snake eyes effect. When we, we get to see a couple of key scenes from a few different mm. perspectives. So we have them landing on the planet and the people getting sick. Then we have uh, Silver Surfer deciding in the infirmary, okay, I'm going to have to fold space. We get, oh, I'm saying these in the wrong order, but that's okay. We also get the scene of Silver Surfer walking through the galley and everybody like cheering him like, you're our herald, we love you so much. And and him seeing Don Greenwood across the cafeteria kind of giving him a, a sad look. And then we get to see him finally getting ready to do the deed meditating so he can be at full power, but while he's mid-meditation, being interrupted by Don Greenwood, who seems to want to say something, and he tells her to, like, can you just hold off Yeah, he shuts her down. After I'm done folding space, please and thank you. The galley sequence in particular is so heartbreaking, right? Because the first time we see it, we see the surfer taking in all the adulation of everyone and then being a little sad because Don's not joining in in the adulation. And you as a reader like, boy, these guys are a fickle audience because a couple issues ago, they were really not happy with this guy, but now they're super happy. But then we learn the third time we see the galley sequence that Father Keen has set that all up and that adulation is BS. Yeah, it's really coming from this place of fear because... They're now all dependent on him. And like, yeah, he said he'd be our herald yesterday or however many days ago it was. But if we upset him and if we don't seem gracious, he could just abandon us. Yeah, in so the they're middle manipulating of space. him. Exactly. Another thing about the the galley scene is when we see it from Don Greenwood's perspective, and she's sitting at the table with Mama Hub, and she's just she can't eat. She mm. is despairing, and um, it turns out that she can't get Silver Surfer's ring off. It's starting to feel like a shackle. And, well, she is a um, kind of a captive. Yeah. Like, the best thing to do, if you're in the middle of a breakup, this is just some free advice from your favorite uh, relationship comic book podcast. The best thing to do is have distance. It's like, hard to do when you're in outer space. Exactly. <laughs> but we see that. Um, Silver Surfer does see her going like, I wish I could just get this stupid ring off. So his level of disappointment is even greater than we first interpreted, but it is also the key to his breakthrough, that ring. But when he starts to step out and fold space and time, and the first time we see that, and he's a little like Kurt to Don, we now understand why he's Kurt to Don because of what he saw in the galley. Well, I think that... He thinks he's going to get that final, like, I'm so sorry, please take this ring off of me. I no longer want to be associated with you because of this terrible past. So he beats to the punch and tells her to, can you this just wait? Can this just wait? Let's postpone this. He thinks he's going to get a gut punch. He thinks he's going to get a heartbreak. But when we watch that same stretch of time from Don Greenwood's perspective, with Don Greenwood as na- as narrator, which we've never seen before, we see that she watches him interacting with Founder Keen and Dr. Fuzzmeyer and Krataka, and she sees that 
he, the the good man that he is being is the good man that he's going to be the rest of his life. Yeah, she's finally keyed into the narrative arc of the Silver Surfer that we as an audience have known since his creation by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. So when he's walking out that door, she's not going to give him a gut punch. She's going to try and relieve some of his pain. She wants to forgive him. Yeah, but the way that they finally break out of this Mobius strip is that while she is coming to this realization, the surfer is also coming to a realization about himself. He realizes that he has to take Don Greenwood's ring back, not so that he can relieve her of her stress and anxiety around the relationship, but so he could be at full capacity, be at full power. He's been in the habit of mm -hmm. giving pieces of himself away yeah. and being dependent on others' confidence and belief in him. Like, he can only be a hero if he believes that everyone sees that the, that he's the hero. And so he goes, I'll show you what I am capable of. I'll show me what I'm capable of. I know that I can fold space, but if I'm worried about if Don Greenwood can think I can fold space or Founder Keen can think that I know, like to, to worry about how other people view you is to give a piece of yourself away to someone else. It's damaging. It it's is. absolutely damaging. And so when he finally comes to that decision and he uh, takes the ring back and he, you know, he shows others and himself what he can do. And we turn the page and he finally breaks free from the Mobius strip. And we get this awesome splash page where the surfer is sailing across both pages and he is shouting, we shall be free. Like, you, you you stand up and cheer when you turn that page. It's such a satisfying moment. But, like, the story that I found myself really connecting to and feeling devastated by was Founder Keen's. Because Founder Keen is trying to keep the morale up mm. of six billion people. And all of his confidence is in this person who result like, to this terrorist yeah. who brought... Galactus to his planet. Yeah. So the issues before this with Founder Keen, and even this issue, uh, you think you know who that dude is. It's not until we get to New New Haven that we really see what a complex character Founder Keen is. And your empathy grows for Founder Keen. And you get a glimpse of it in this comic because he too is trapped in this loop and he too feels responsible for all of these souls. And it's always the same 1,200 people who are getting sick at all of these planets. And he's getting pressure from Krataka and others going like, what's 1,200 people to 6 billion people? And Surfer is saying like, we're not going to, I'm going to find you a planet that is perfect, which is impossible. And Founder King goes like, I can't turn on these 1,200 people because I'm going to lose the support of the rest of this caravan. So he takes it upon himself to negotiate with the taroteers and say, hey, if we just want one measly, settleable planet, we will be, if you, like, if we can just have a planet, we'll be out of your hair. And in exchange, I'll let you destroy our infirmary and I'll let you kill those 1,200 people with the terrible allergies. So when Silver Surfer finally finds them a planet 
finds them new New Haven. Founder Keen is struggling with tortured is tortured by this decision that he almost made with his free will to free himself from his repetitive thought pattern. So good. It's so devastating. Every exercise of free will is not always the best decision, but it's a decision (laughs) you're always answerable for. We have an election coming up, Lisa. Oh, yeah. We should all remember that that there are consequences to our choices, and uh, we should make sure that we're making the choices we want to be making. That's right. Listen to Michelle Obama. You need a, a plan. An election day plan, a life plan. That's right. There is one repetitive thought pattern that doesn't get resolved in this issue, and that is Don Greenwood's. Mm. She is going like, I see the Mm. man that Norrin Rad is. He's a good man, and he's a man that I love, but I can't be with someone who participated in a genocide. And it's not until the next issue where she gets to process some of those feelings, but she does it under the influence. Yeah, this next issue is wild, right? They get to this planet of euphoria, and it looks like a lot of time has passed. We don't even know how much time, we don't even know how much time they had spent in the Mobius strip. Like, was it a year? Was it a lifetime? Was it several lifetimes? Was it a millennia? Uh, but even beyond that question, it looks like some time has passed from the point in which they broke free from the Mobius strip and this point in time. Don's got a banging new haircut. Norrin Rad has grown a, a little quarantine beard, yeah, looking a little scruffy. He's spending his time silvered down. And everyone is in bliss mode. They're all having a really good time. Uh, They're forgetting about their worries. With the exception of Founder Keen. With the exception of Founder Keen, who who still has that pit in his stomach. But he does get some relief and consolation and some pie from Wegalolo, who we... Wega no no is dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. He should be dead. So the dead have risen on Euphoria. Krataka is having the time of her life, slaying giant beasts. Toomey is has a new play partner, uh, surfing him all over the place. Uh, Don Greenwood and Norrin Rad, they're they're playing house. They're yeah, they're they're uh, not sleeping together. They've got two. They they're hammock buddies. Yeah, they got separate hammocks. It's but very Brady the, bunch. But in the same Hobbit hole. And they know they got to get off this planet. They need to get back to Earth, but they can't break away. You know, they have founded New New Haven on this planet. They, this is their community, and they are having such a good time. One of my favorite sequences in this entire issue is when Norrin and Don are lying down on the grass, looking up at the sky, and these are constellations that Norn has never seen before, so they are unnamed, and they're going around naming these constellations. Look, there's Sad Crab in a Top Hat. And when when Don names that constellation Sad Crab in a Top Hat, Norn busts out laughing. They are in, they're, they're just, they're, they're filled with, in, with each other's presence, right? And they go in for a kiss, and they don't, because something is a little off. They're feeling too good. And they go their separate ways, and that's when, uh-oh, Norrin doesn't see Wegalolo, but he sees Shala Ball, and Don sees her mother. What's so insidious about Euphoria is that she can see all the way down through 
to your true happiness? Mm. What will make you actually happy? Minus the regrets, minus the expectation, minus all of that brain Mm. noise that has us second guessing ourselves Mm. all of the time. So when they parted after that kiss, Euphoria knows to go to Norin Rad and and as a person from his past, as Shalabal, and go like, you deserve to be happy. Get rid of those regrets. Like if I'm one of your regrets, I, I free you. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. can just pursue what what's going to make your life worthwhile. Yeah, she's a therapist. That's right. And then the same with Don Greenwood. She sees her mother. This person that we find out later in these two volumes abandoned her as a child. And they're talking about forgiveness. Is it possible to forgive someone who's done such a Mm. terrible thing? Mm -hmm. And her mother tells her, like, if you in your heart have forgiven him, then you can be with him and be happy. Just like if you forgave me, your mother, for what I did to you as a child, then we can be together and we can be happy. And that brings Don and Norrin back together. And they're like, you know, uh, let's just stay here. Let's, let's remain here. All we need is each other. I don't need Earth. I don't need my family. And when that notion is uttered by Don... She stops. Norrin goes, oh, no. Don, Don needs her family. Don needs Earth. I would never ask you to give that up, especially knowing what I have sacrificed. And that's the final thing that doesn't necessarily snap them out of it, but it's when they realize their minds are being poisoned in some fashion. This is also when Toomey rejects Euphoria because Toomey's greatest desire is just to be ridden and d- d- to join with a partner and have a good time. So Euphoria has been surfing Toomey all over the planet and he's been having a blast until he also realizes something's amiss. Norin, when he realizes something is wrong, calls Toomey mm. and that shakes Toomey out of his reverie. And when Euphoria realizes that Norin Rad wants the board and therefore wants to leave, Euphoria starts freaking out. And there's this storm that happens and Euphoria is having this tantrum like, you can't take this board, you can't leave me. I am this planet. Yeah, and the planet comes to life and is attacking them in these like mud-like creatures. And Norin Rad is like, you can't keep my board. My board is not an object, it's an extension of me and I am the silver surfer. And to me, that's him like saying like, I am not just my contented parts. I'm not just like someone who wants Mm. to fish in the morning and be with Don Greenwood. I am my past. I am traveling the stars. I am trying to be a hero to make up for the the terrible things I've done in my past. He has not redeemed himself, right? And so if he were to stop on Euphoria, uh, he would not, make up for the horrible things he did when he was a herald of Galactus. Once the Silver Surfer has put Euphoria in her place, she admits like, I'm not trying to imprison you. I'm just trying to make you happy. And uh, Silver Surfer is like, you can't just make people happy. It's a consent issue. Exactly. So he has Euphoria take down all of her defense mechanisms. And it's this... She's just like this barren wasteland of a planet. And Dr. Fuzzmeyer realizes that 
the adaptive atmosphere was effectively treating these six billion traumatized people for their depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I find so interesting is that once uh, founder Keen and Krataka and all of the people on Euphoria hear that, some of them choose to stay and some of them choose to leave. It's not that Euphoria is evil. It's just not right to try to fix people's problems for them. And I think that that's a major theme in Silver Surfer. It's like, don't pull out my tonsils without asking me. I need to be an active participant in making myself better and making myself whole. Yeah, so Euphoria is going to be helpful to these folks and genuine healing will occur, but not for Norn and Don because they're leaving. They get off planet. I do think that they do leave the planet with a different perspective on each other in particular Mm. because when they started on this planet, Don Greenwood couldn't stand the sight of Norinrad because she could only see his past. Once they've left that adaptive medicating atmosphere, Silver Surfer, all he wants to hear is what Don actually thinks of him. And, And so he's like, so now like, he's like, give me your worst. What do you actually think of me? And uh, she thanks him for her not ki- him not kissing her on that grassy knoll because she wanted her first kiss to be her choice and not not a result of an entire planet kind of pushing them, them together. together. But she still like her conversation with her mother still informed how she was going to see. Norin Rad from this point on. She sees him as a forgiven man, as the man who is now in this world to make it better. Yeah, and then you turn the page, the final page of this issue, and it's probably my favorite page from the whole run. And I probably say that a lot, but (laughs) I mean it this time. It's so sweet. It's one massive splash page of Don and Norin embraced kissing for the first time and there's like a halo of cosmic light around their heads and i mean it's it's the image we're using for this episode right i mean it's warm and sweet and it gives you all the feels i find that image beautiful and i also find that image bittersweet because Why? because it totally wouldn't have happened without euphoria oh sure 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 i thought you were going to say it's because she has long hair and you don't like don with long hair ah! You're calling back our off mic conversation. <laughs> I d- it does bother me that that's not how she really chooses to look. She chooses to have like at her first opportunity, she gets her hair cut back into a bob. Well, as your mom would say, <laughs> uh, long hair makes you look more glamorous, Lisa. That's right. Yeah. When I after <laughs> when I cut my hair off, I used to have like super long hair. At, when I was a child, like down to my butt, I had like right. ridiculously long hair, and then. Uh, I think like five or six years ago, I got it cut into a bob and I haven't looked back. Your mom's not happy about it. And my mom doesn't like it. It's okay, though. Well, the other person who's not too thrilled about this moment is Toomey because they're making out on the board all the time. And Toomey's like, we got to get going. That's got to be annoying. It's like when your college roommate gets a boyfriend and you're just like, I just, 
Yeah. I, like they have nowhere else to make out, but still. He's got a little bit of that third wheelness going on. Uh, but they get back on the road, but they decide that they're going to take the long way home so that they can revisit all their friends. They make their way through the Jiro expanse. They go back to the Minotaur maze planet. They see the cosmic rays. They hang out with Jackstar 9. Uh, but then they are interrupted by the Never Queen, who seems to be deteriorating. And what we have just run into is a Secret Wars tie-in event. Doctor Doom is reshaping the universe and our universe, Silver Surfer's universe, is deteriorating. And so they speed off as fast as they can. Dawn looks back, she can literally see the earth crumble before her eyes. And um, she sees a, a future self. Uh, she sees another Dawn, another Norin, and they're like, turn left, go into this rip. And Don says to the surfer, hey, look, there's a rip over there. He's like, how'd you see that? Uh, I can't explain it. And so they go into that rip, that tear into space and time, and they enter this realm of all white, and they see that eternity is now wearing Dr. Doom's face. I find it kind of ironic in like a, an Alanis Morissette kind of way <laughs> that as soon as... Silver Surfer realizes that his past can be this pleasant place to revisit. He and Don have built up these friendships, mm. and it never before occurred to him to do what he refers to as the dropping in thing mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. checking in with people in your past and having these pleasant memories. Because his, his, like, up to this point, it's been nothing but regret and terror back And he's there. constantly moving forward. And this is the first time where he kind of goes backwards and sees the effect that he has done in the- And not, he feels good about it. And he feels great about it, yeah. And of course, as soon as that happens, something comes along that erases their entire past. Yeah, yeah, goodbye, canon. But uh, like, this is the beginning of this, of the theme of the next two volumes is, who are you without your past? Who are you without your art? Mm -hmm. Who are you without your culture? Like, I feel Dan Slott and Mike Allred trying to strip down to what is the essential person? Is, is a person built from the outside in or is a person built from the inside out? And what's interesting to me is that when Glorian appears and offers this chance to rebuild your universe from scratch and make it the way you want it to look, Don and Norrin take to it with gusto. Well, Norrin actually tries to avoid it at first because the first place he went to revisit was Brundlebus 3. Yeah. And he he re he rebuilds yeah. that as he found it. And, and everyone starts creating monuments to him yet again. And he goes through that process and of Glorian like, oh, goes I don't like, like it. You don't, you can just make them not praise you. And he goes like, yeah, but then I would be becoming exactly what I want to avoid like this controlling God being. And he goes like, well, that's like a weird paradox. But as he's rebuilding, Glorian is poking him and going like, well, you know, it doesn't really have to be this way. You, you know, you can rebuild uh, this planet and not have it destroyed by Galactus. Yeah. And, and in fact, why even have Galactus? Yeah. So that's what breaks Silver Surfer, this idea of, I can create a universe without the terror that ruined my life and ruined the lives of billions. And that's that's what snaps him into creating the universe as he wishes to see it, which of course creates these paradoxes that upsets this shaper of worlds and um, upsets the stability of this universe that he and 
Don Greenwood were building. Both Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood take a very different first approach to rebuilding their universe. The first thing that Norin Rad does is create the darkness of space mm-hmm. as this tapestry on on which all other things are built. And he sa- and when Glorian asks him like why I like why would you start with nothing? Well, why is the first thing you're building is nothing? And he goes like, well, the darkness is the tapestry on which all light is created, which is going to play thematically later. Like the idea of darkness, like light cannot exist without without, dark. without darkness. Don Greenwood, of course, the first thing she makes almost by accident is her home uh, and end. her family. Mm-hmm. But we have to keep in mind, like she doesn't know it, but she's actually creating a real universe entirely out of her ideals and how she views the world. And what's interesting is that when she creates that family, that family, you know, starts to understand that she has this power and her dad, Reg, is like, well, why don't you bring mom back? And Don can't, like Don didn't even consider that as a possibility while she was pulling things out of thin air, right? And so she has to avoid that almost immediately because once that thought's in there, it's too dangerous to deal with. Well, I, I got to go deal with France. Now I'm going to go and recreate these postcard images. Well, what's weird about that is, remember, she is making her dad out of her image of her dad. So when her dad says... I want you to bring mom it's, back. She's saying She it. thinks that her dad is someone who loves her infinitely, which we believe is true. But is deeply missing the father or the uh, mother. Uh, yeah, every day, wanting to bring the mom back. I find it particularly interesting how she remakes her sister. Because Eve, when Eve sees Dawn booping the sun into existence, she's like, Duh. "Who? why is Dawn, of all people, the person to rebuild this planet? Like, she hasn't seen anything. She Like, she's laughed at Adam Sandler movies. Right, all their actions are judgments on, or are self-judgments from Dawn. So Dawn, that's how Dawn thinks Eve sees her. Yeah. And this is the second time we've gotten this message from Eve because we also meet Eve from the dream realm and that like Eve from the dream realm is a um, admonishment of who Dawn is. Yeah. And what's, what's even more fascinating continuing that thought process is when we get into the next trade paperback, when they, we actually get to meet real Eve, she's not necessarily a copy of the Eves we've met. Right. Like, we always think that everybody we love is thinking about us 100% of the time. And we always see, like, I have issues with my siblings of going like, well, everything, or they have the same issue with me, of everything they do is a fil- is filtered through yeah. criticizing me for some reason. Uh-huh, it's uh-huh. hard to put into well, we, text. We've talked about this on the podcast around other groups. You know, we build narratives, right? Mm-hmm. And so we write what's going on inside the heads of our parents, inside the heads of our siblings. But that's that's our imagination. I've had whole fights recently with my mother that only I was in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and while like Don's arguments are all rooted on Earth, naturally all of Silver Surfer's internal arguments are rooted on Zen Law, right? Because 
he needs Zen Law to exist, but he doesn't want to like be on Zen Law. He doesn't want to bring Dawn to Zen Law, which Glorian suggests. He needs Zen Law to be there so that he can be away from Zen Law because he is the surfer now. He's not Norrin Rad, the astronomer. I'm so glad that you brought that up because so much of Silver Surfer's identity is that I am the guy who rejected Zen Law. In the following trade paperback, we're going to be in a place where Zen Law yeah. has to reject him, and he does not like that. No, he does not. He doesn't. When Dawn is recreating her world, her relationship with her sister comes up again because she's trying to rebuild Europe based on the postcards yeah. that Eve had sent her. And of course, everything ends up being like two-dimensional, like a postcard. And Glorian is like, why didn't you just go get your sister to help you? And she's like, I'm not... I'm not getting her after what she said to me. That would She doesn't want to give Eve the satisfaction. So she's like, I know who knows Earth super well. My BFF in space, Norrin Rad. And she thinks that she calls him, but in actuality, she manifests an ideal version of him. And so they go zipping around Earth. And what is this ideal version of Norrin Rad telling her? Saying, oh my goodness, I could never know your planet with the intimacy that you do uh -huh. because I'm just an alien and you're an earthling and earthlings just intuitively are going to know this planet more intimately. So like we see this kind of um, inferiority complex she even has with mm, Norrin. Interesting, yeah. Norrin saying like, I have studied your planet on the atomic level, and literally you cannot see your planet with the amount of detail that I have. We see this play out later in a more healthy way when they're about to watch Wizard of Oz, and he's like, I've literally seen Wizard of Oz so many times. But then she says, have you seen it with people? So I think it's that same extension of, like, I know my planet because I love my planet. And it's unlike how you know my planet, as in, like, you know scientifically my planet. Yeah, I love that because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, right? Just because you experienced something 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 100 years ago, one way, doesn't mean that you're going to experience that thing the same way today, right? We talk about it a lot with my favorite movie or one of my favorite movies, 2001 A Space Odyssey. You see it as a teenager, it means nothing to you. You see it in college, you pretend you understand it. You see it in your 30s, you think you got it. You see it in your 40s, you think something else about that thing. To me, I experience what she's experiencing as a woman in nerd culture, mm. where people, I feel like mm. if I wear a nerd shirt to a convention and I don't have all of the stats of what issue is this image from? Who's the artist? What's this um what's this character's entire canon? Yeah, I feel like people will tell me that I don't love comics enough because I don't have an encyclopedic yeah. type knowledge. And I think that's changing. I do think that attitude is changing. We are fighting the concept of gatekeeping. You know, if you love the X-Men because you read one comic or you saw the 90s cartoon or you're an X-Men evolution fan, you love X-Men. You don't have to have read every single Chris Claremont book. Right. And the way this storyline winds down is the surfer has unmade Galactus. It creates all those paradoxes. He realizes, oh, 
we're not doing this right. Something's wrong. So I'm going to go back to hang out with Don to go retrieve Don. And that's when he discovers that Don has created the double and being always the martyr. He tells Don, stick with this surfer that you've created, this supposedly idealized surfer and unmake me. Yeah, because she keeps saying that one of them is not real. Like, um, I want the surfer that is real. And he looks at the, you know, molecules of the other surfer and goes like, this is real. It's a legit dude. (laughs) Yeah, this is a guy. And of course, the other surfer overhears and is like, I'm not real. (laughs) But Glorian is pushing her to make a choice because he has since defeated the Shaper of Worlds. He's now the Shaper of Worlds. Z reveals that he's actually the incredulous Zed and and wrong silver surfer is like, who's Who's that guy? (laughs) Don is the one who puts it together that He's trying to get rid of redundancies, and once those redundancies are done away with, then that universe is finished, and therefore it can take over the other universe where they have all of this history. So Don figures out that we need to return to possibilities. So they run to the gate, which is the Never Queen's heart, and they leave that that universe so they get to see the two universes side by side. And so they can, with their eyes, see, okay, here's Glorian's universe and here's Doom's universe. And Don goes like, well, this is a universe created by our ideals that are, which is devoid of the dark parts of ourselves, which is, in my opinion, not real. And then the other option is Doom's universe. And Silver Surfer's like, well, we can't choose Doom's universe. Thankfully, Secret Wars is happening. And by the end of that event, they have released Doom's hold on it. And so you get to see Doom's mask crumble and our Eternity speak. And Eternity's like, look, this is not necessarily the same place you left, but it's kind of like it. And Silver Surfer still has this moment of hesitation because... In Glorian, he's built rebuilt a universe mm-hmm. that is literally real. Yeah, the and molecules he goes are like, right. He goes like, uh, if I end this universe, all of those people I saved by creating my universe are going to cease to exist. It's like I've killed them again. And Don tells him like, those aren't real people because. Th- that they're just a manifestation of your regrets and your regrets are real and your regrets have a past. But what makes Glorian's universe not real is that it's not expanding anymore because it can only be what we've made. Yeah, it can only contain what we've seen and what we've loved. So the universe that is in within eternity, yeah, it contains our regrets and it contains our past and it contains famine and genocide and hunger and desperation, but it is ever expanding. It's growing. It's changing. There's possibilities there. The never queen exists there. The button of Don's argument is appeals to his BG before Galactus sevenness. She says, well, come on, don't you want to see new stars? And he is giddy when he responds. He says, 
yes, with you. And Silver Surfer is like, we have no idea where we're going. Like, this is so exciting. And Don's like, I know where we're going. And you turn the page and it's anywhere and everywhere. And the surfer says, hang on. Another like astonishing single page from Mike Allred. I got to cry over this volume twice because, mm. of course, when I read it, I found the ending so moving. And then as I'm preparing my notes mm. for this episode, I begin so to tear good. up again because now I'm thinking of it through the context of the Enneagram and how, like, when you get self-help-minded, you can think, like, I do want to abolish the dark sides of myself. I do want to somehow turn off these parts of my character. Yeah, but that, they're you. But that, that give me heartache. But they are my darkness. And I can't have light without that darkness. I can't, like, stuff my past or stuff my regrets because those are things that keep me ever expanding. Like if you were only your good parts, you would be finished. It's so good. And the journey of life is being not finished and always growing and always expanding. Uh, But now we got to get into the second volume. Oh my God, we're going (laughs) to be here all day. Not all day because as all perfect storytelling goes, this Next volume is just an extension of the themes we saw in the first volume. So while we were on New New Haven, we we asked the question, who are we without the depths of our emotion? Now, just what we went through with Glorian, it was who are we without our past and without our regrets? So this next volume touches on who are we without our art, the art that has informed our lives, and then who are we without our culture? Yeah, so we're back on Earth. Dawn's with her family, hanging with Norrin. Eve's there. We meet Eve's uh, husband, fiance at this point. They're married. No, they are married. She's pregnant. Mm -hmm. Eve's going to have a kid. And also we're being attacked and invaded by the Hordax. And they're using this uh, mini Imaginatrix to remove all of the art. Uh, Like Wizard of Oz is being ripped away from Earth as Don and the clan are watching it. And the reason they're removing all this culture is because your planet's going to be destroyed anyway, and we might as well preserve it for you. Well, the Hordax isn't just hoarding our culture to to save it after the destruction that is to come. They're also using it to power their ship and power their defense mechanisms. So when Don and Norin are aboard their ship, all of these aliens has taken on the image of our greatest heroes. I mean, and this is like such delicious nerd porn, Mm -hmm. right? Because you have all these characters like, okay, well there's Tintin, there's Willy Wonka, Robocop. Beatrix uh, Kiddo. Beatrix Kiddo. Is that Axel Foley from Beverly Hills Cop? I think so. Hold (laughs) on, Zardoz is here. You know, like those, those, uh, those gatekeeping nerds, this is what they live for. Oh yeah. And I'm one of those guys. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta, you gotta know everybody's name or you're not cool. But like, even I don't like, I don't know who that dude is in that lab coat over there behind Marty McFly. I'm sure you could ask someone. I'm sure someone could correct us. <laughs> but Don asks, like, how are they doing this? And Norrin is like, well, they're imbued with the psychic imprint of everything humanity has ever created. And then he starts punching on them. <laughs> and Don Grindelwald is like, well, hey. I, like because he, Because of their powers, she doesn't remember who anybody is, but she remembers that she likes all of these people that he's punching. And he's like, well, they're they're not real. They're just like this psychic imprint. And she goes like, oh, I have a theory then. And she goes to the highest point of the ship 
and and goes like, I'm going to jump. And she jumps and they catch her. Yeah, because they also have a love for her as the person who appreciates their existence. Exactly. If they are imbued with humanity's psychic imprint, then they are, by their very nature, altruistic and good. And it's just a, a reminder that our fictional heroes are part of our defense mechanism as humanity. We mm. use stories like Doctor Who and Star Wars and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory to help us feel safe. Yeah, and the way that ends I really love is that they recognize the codependency between the culture and uh, the people who made it and the Hordaks leave. But they also say like, hey, you know, uh, bad guy's coming and you turn the page and Indeed, here comes the keeper of the great truth. And their herald, former member of Fantastic Four, The Thing. Oh, yeah, which, again, uh, as a result of the Secret Wars, uh, the Fantastic Four are no more, and The Thing's hanging out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Has the Fantastic Four never existed in this no, universe? No, they exist, but Franklin is helping rebuild the universe, if I recall correctly, so they're missing for this period of time. And it's just the Human Torch and The Thing, and the Richards are missing. Much to the disappointment of young Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Norrin Rad, because when Norrin Rad gets to Earth and he sees that the Baxter building's been sold to Parker Industries, he don't like that. Mm -mm, he bummed. Before we get to the big bad, the next issue starts with a flashback 10 years BG, before Galactus, on the planet Zen La, and Shalabal is trying to convince Norrin Rad not to leave. But he knows that there's this hangar full of ships that are just sitting there. Yeah, and he's he's got wanderlust. That's right. So he goes to the hangar, and there is the Keeper of the Great Truth there. And the Keeper of the Great Truth tries to level with him. And he goes like, you know why we don't leave this planet, right? And He's like, yeah, because Zen Law is perfect. Yeah, why go anywhere? And, and we have everything we need right here. And the Keeper of the Great tu Truth goes like, yeah, that's what you've been told. But that is, in fact, a myth or a lie. The fact of the matter is Zen Law is not allowed to travel because if Zen Law leaves, they'll ruin the rest of the universe. Dun, dun, dun. So what we're getting into is a story about the evils of homogenization. Zen Law is a proud community, but with that pride, there is this seedy underbelly of- Sno Snobbery. Exactly, they're gonna go out and gentrify the universe. And this snobbery exists deep in the heart of Norad Rad. He wakes up in the inn to the smell of bacon, seared pig, again. He's grown tired already of being back on Earth. And so has Toomey. And so has Toomey. They need to get on with it. But Dawn, she wants to see Eve's baby born, and it's going to be weeks from now. And when, when Norrin hears that it's going to be weeks, he freaks out. And you know, Don shuts him down again, like, you're being rude. Don't be this guy. And he's like, well, look, I, you know, I need to get going because I know everything there is about Earth. This is something that he has expressed before. And once and it hurts, it turns out, hurts Don's Greenwood's feelings. Yeah, every of time. course. And she says, look, you have not seen Earth the way that I know it. Let's look at Earth through what I know. And this is a lesson, just like 
with Glorian and, and remaking the world, remaking the universe, he has to learn that just because you knew one thing one way at one point doesn't mean that thing is the same thing today through a new point. Seeing something through someone else's eyes is a revelation. And that that little moment ends with them at the lighthouse and how and Don Greenwood saying like when I was sad I used to come to this lighthouse and look out at the ships and he goes like I don't understand how you can look at ships in the ocean and not want to, to leave be on one. yeah and so she has just shown him how how beautiful it is to stay in a place and really learn it intimately and he goes like and and now she tells him like I never thought to explore until I met you. So I think that this shows how there are two Enneagrams. Now he is showing his inner seven-ness. He's kind of evolved past being a total one all of the time. And and through Don Greenwood, he's accessing this man he used to be, this restless explorer. And she shows him like, You've changed me as well. You have made me a person who wanted to stay home to a person who wants to see the world. As a first-time reader, you're wondering if this moment will actually change Noren's perspective because we see him falling back into this mode of having to re-see a place he's already been. Because he's restless, he's feeling bored, yeah. like a total seven. And so, like, we need to talk about this conversation in the next episode when we get to the final trade paperback. Yes. Does, has he grown because of Don? I think we all are put in the position of having to learn and relearn the same lessons. Like, mm. we're all on this, like, little Mobius strip of these repetitive thoughts yeah. that we have. And... Like part of the point of the Enneagram is going like, oh, I can recognize my sevenness and appreciate it, but also resist it and use my free will to, to power my way out of this trap that I put myself in. The, the, the Mobius strip metaphor is so great. It's also extremely apt when it comes to comic book characters when there's constant status quo uh, changes. Oh, yeah. Which I find frustrating. Sure, if the thing that you loved gets changed or ignored, but sometimes people love a status quo thing. Let's forget about that um, time Gwen Stacy slept with Norman Osborn and had a couple of twins with him. Gross. Yeah, it happened. It happened. But oh, did it? Let's not. Let's not think about it. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> Look away. During this moment of realization where the surfer is appreciating or reappreciating Earth, he looks skyward into the stars and there's a giant hole in the sky. There's a gap in the stars. He goes, what's going on? To me, my board. They race to the Baxter building for help. Oh, wait. Yeah, Parker Industries, no Fantastic Four. They go to the Avengers mansion. Hold on. The Avengers aren't there anymore. They're giving tours. What's going on? Who's the one constant I can turn to in New York City that can help me figure this out? Uh, Alicia Masters, Lisa. And of course, Don Greenwood is immediately jealous. She's like... Who the F is this super hot <laughs> blind lady? And Silver Surfer's also being a little weird. And he's like, this is Don Greenwood, my friend. And so when Don Greenwood is like, who are you? She says, I showed Norrin the earth was beautiful Ooh. and worth saving. Ooh. And Don Greenwood looks at Toomey like, why did you not tell me about her? And Jeremy's like, shrugs, McGee. 
But it turns out that Alicia Masters is this super connected sculptor of superheroes. And Silver Surfer asks her to like call the team Avengers plus others assemble. And she's like, I'm on it. And she's like, oh, and Alicia is like, oh, wait, you don't, it's not like you have a pocket for like an iPhone or anything. How am I supposed to contact you? And he's, he's like, duh, I'll just give you one of these rings. And Don Greenwood is totally agape. And he's like, what? What? I'll, I'll give you a ring too. Everybody gets a ring. And this is really messing with the story Don Greenwood has been telling herself about her relationship with Silver Surfer. Yeah, that she has shown Surfer what Earth is when Alicia Masters has already done that. She, she thought that she was the first chick on the board, and clearly she is not. What I love about this is it's now an opportunity for Don to come to a similar realization that Norrin did about uh, new fresh perspectives, right? She took a lot of pride in revealing her planet to Norrin in a new way, but it turns out Alicia Masters has already gone through that. And that's incredibly relatable for couples, okay? Especially couples who've had other partners. Just because Lisa dated a dude who loved Nick Cave and Star Trek doesn't mean, like, when I watch Star Trek with Lisa and I listen to Nick Cave with Lisa, uh, that, that our relationship is any less. Oh, my God. Brad is bringing the realness to this podcast. It does mean that we have to have a couple of awkward conversations when we go to a Nick Cave concert or a, a Star, Star Trek, Trek convention. convention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I How's it going, Eric? Listen. Hi! <laughs> it's super easy to get hung up on that past and let those connections poison the well, but you don't need to. You don't. You shouldn't let that happen. You can still love Star Trek together as a new couple. The fact of the matter is, when I was a, in a relationship with that other person, that other Star Trek-y mm -hmm. guy, I was a different person at that time. Like, he was never with me as I am now. We learned that from Alicia Masters is that the Silver Surfer that's on the board with Don Greenwood was not the same Silver Surfer that was on the board with her. And she tells that to Shala Ball, who turns out to be the keeper of great truth. Like, I'm sorry, Norrin Rad is not your beloved anymore because clearly he is in love with someone else and that person is Don Greenwood because he is acting in a way that he has never acted with me. Which has to be incredibly validating for Don Greenwood, but the way that this story wraps up, a huge sacrifice is made by Norrin Rad. And I feel very strangely about the choice he makes because he chooses to stand with Earth. I stand with Earth. And in doing so, he uses his power cosmic to completely erase the culture of Zen law because they have infected not just Earth and stolen their culture and replaced it with Zen Lavian culture. They've done this to so many other planets and he is reversing that. And in reversing that, he's erasing his planet, his people, their history, his own memory of it. And as a way of finding justice, Shalabal returns to him and says, we now, Zenla now rejects you and we're turning our back on you and you now have no home. And you do have this lovely moment where Don says, you know, because he's looking up and he can kind of feel the pull of where Zenla was. And, and Don's like, you know, don't worry, don't fall into despair because 
I can be what they were. I can be your homeworld. And you get an awesome splash page from Michael Allred again, where you see all the heroes gathered around Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood, and you get the title card, Homeworld, Don's his homeworld, Earth's his homeworld. And it is beautiful, and it is moving, but it's also incredibly tragic. And even though in that moment he accepts it, he doesn't really... He he has felt so alone through so much of his life that it kind of triggers an old Mobius strip of thought of, like, I am the lone sentinel mm. of the universe. And every once in a while, Toomey has to, like, poke him, like, hey, remember Don Greenwood? You, you have a home. You have a history. Stay in the present. And the rest of Earth goes out of its way to make him feel like he belongs. You know, they make him a citizen of Earth. All the countries come together and champion Norrin Rad, the Silver Surfer. And he gets savior. to go to baseball games yes. and Hamilton. Yes. Yeah, he gets to Hamilton. That's right. But the message doesn't really penetrate. He he really has it stuck in his mind that I am now a man with no culture. My past has been corrupted. And this is completely unrelatable to you, Don Greenwood, who is so at home on earth. And Don Greenwood is like, there is something about my past that where my, my past was ripped from me. And it is when my mother left home and she takes him up to the attic and begins to pull out these old photo albums of this woman that she's barely even spoken to him about. And it turns out that her mom literally just up and left Reg Greenwood with these two twins, never to look back again. Yeah, and so what does our Silver Surfer do when presented with a, a pain inside Don Greenwood? He rips it out. He's gonna cure it. He he can reach out, power cosmic. He knows exactly where uh, her mom is. And he wants to surprise her. Let's let's go across the country. I, I want to show you something. I'm going to make you real happy. Here's your mom. Whoa. This is where we're introduced to Don Greenwood's nodal event. Mm. Her experience with her mother is what turned her into a two, yeah. turned her into a helper. Uh, yeah, she's Galactus. The mom is Galactus for Don Greenwood. When she left her family... She left a business that they started together, the Greenwood Inn, and her two girls. And so Don was like, oh, I see the way I can get love from my father is to help him through this tough time. I can step in and help my father where my mother rejected him. And what's so interesting about Don's mother is she is a person not unlike Norin Rad, where she's like, I want a redo on my past. I don't want to be a person with a small business. I don't want to be a person with two children. And you do understand that thought process. It's certainly relatable to me uh, having, you know, and you, I would imagine, Lisa, because we've chosen not to have children. But it does seem villainous. It's not like you can put the genie back in no. that bottle. Right. You yeah. are a mother. But this, there are people who would find this story relatable and without getting too specific on the air, we have a very close friend who's had a similar experience where he had a family member who said, 
peace out, never speak to me again. And he did grow up to be a great man and a great father, but that initial rejection did shape his entire existence. And continues to shape his existence. And in Don's case, she is uh, quite angry. And no, Surfer can't fix this with ice cream like he did the tonsils. I understand where Norrin was coming from. When Don Greenwood was talking to him about her mother, she was saying, like, I no longer have the access to this part of my past, but look at me. I'm totally cool with it. <laughs> yeah. But when he goes like, okay, I can reconnect you to that part of your past, she is furious and panicked. Well, and he does it in such a terrible way. Like he does try to surprise her like it's a gift. Even if he had just said, well, Don, you know, I could just think real hard and find her right now. Even that would have caused some kind of argument because it would be such a shock because that idea of knowing where my mom is, is was an impossibility before meeting the surfer. But the fact that he then takes the extra step of let's let's go on a vacation, you know, and oh, at the end of this vacation, here's your mom. Once Silver Surfer realizes how livid she is and like, sorry, no, this will not be fixed with ice cream. He goes like... You know, we could just leave. She hasn't seen you. I like I can take I can take this choice away. But she got clearly got some comfort and relief out of going like, well, actually I have no options. Yeah. Because there's I don't no going know. back. So like now he, like the Never Queen, opened up her free will mm, again. Yeah. Like she was oh, like, man. I thought that this was a closed loop, but now it's open, opened up again, and now I have to speak to my mom. And she really has to pep herself up to even knock on the door, you know? And she has, like, this little conversation of herself of, like, anger and whatever. But when she knocks on the door and her mother opens the door, her mother is unrelatably horrible to her going like, what are you doing here? Does anybody else know where I am? You'd think she was in witness protection well, she, or something. I mean, she goes into complete defense mode, but which I, I understand. Like if there's like a parallel universe where we did have ca like kids, like Cable, and then our Cable kid came to us like, why don't I exist uh, in I this just, universe? I think if you're going about your day, you've made this decision decades ago, you went through the emotional crisis of making that decision, burying that past, never thinking about that past, and then it shows up on your doorstep. It's understandable that that's going to stir a lot of intense emotions and probably anger. And be uh, anger through uh, defense mode. Mm, yeah. Like, I've already closed the door on this life. Yeah, life well, how you dare you come back again? in? How dare you? What's interesting to me about the climax of this story is it doesn't go through this cathartic healing process. It ends this encounter on a down note, on, on the sadness. It's very much like the second volume of Allred and Slot's run, where we see Don uh, shaken by the uh, revelation of Galactus. Now she's shaken by the revelation of her mother, and it's a very similar final panel where she is looking crestfallen and sad, and what what's her future going to be? But that volume ends with her wanting to run home and running to her safe place, yeah. and this volume ends with her running away from home and- I can't deal. Finding comfort in the unknown. Yeah. 
And Surfer gets what he wanted at the start of this volume to get away from Earth. Man, bonehead. (laughs) The final pin in her, the end of her relationship with her mother in the present moment is, of course, Norin and Dawn can't go to a city without some kind of superhero fisticuff. Spider-Man's there. So Dawn ends up getting entangled in these, like, uh, shape-shifting squids that were, like, loose from the bowels of the Earth's core. And they take the form of your worst fear. So, you know, Peter Parker's looking at one, and it turns into the Green Goblin. Yeah, but it kind it sucked some of the life force. It, it's hungry for the life force of Norrin Rat, but it sucks some of the life force out of Don Greenwood, and she's apparently lost a lot of platelets. And... Spider-Man is like, we gotta, we gotta get her some blood. Anybody got O negative blood? O negative blood, that means she's a universal donor. Like Mad Max. But like, think of um, the symbolism of Don Greenwood, a helper being Uh, a universal donor. I love that. But it also means that there's not a lot of blood. She can only receive like O blood. And we see as she's passing out, her mother, who is going to have the same blood type of her, walk away. And when Don Greenwood comes to, she's receiving blood from her sister. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, the when the mom fades away, when the mom doesn't do that, when Dan Slott robs you of that moment, like, oh, this comic's playing for keeps. This is clearly a wound that's going to be very hard to reconcile. And thankfully, we don't have to do that this week because that's going to come up in the next volume. This episode is long. You know, we knew it was going to be long, though. And uh, it's one of those things where I, I hope our listeners are just as much in love with this couple as we are. And we just don't want to let them go. We We don't don't. want to let them go. In fact, we maybe probably should have made this a five-episode series, but we didn't. So we're keeping to our format. Those are our regrets. We can't live in our regrets. We are universes that are (laughs) ever-expanding. That's right. That's right. But Lisa, just uh, real quick, um, what... What are you taking away from these two volumes in particular? What I'm taking away from these two volumes and from our ongoing conversation about the Enneagram, where we completely derailed from looking for wings. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's okay. Um, We are universes ever expanding. We contain multitudes. Um, But what I take away is really twofold. So the first thing is the symbolism of Silver Surfer's ring so we see what the ring means to Don Greenwood when she receives it from him and when he later takes it back from her so that he can uh, fold space. And then he gives it to Alicia Masters and then later the thing. And Don Greenwood is like, what's going on? Everybody everybody is going steady with the Silver <laughs> Surfer. This is weird. Um, but like to me, that ring reminds me that like whenever you start a relationship with someone and I'm not just talking romantic relationships I'm also talking about close friendships other familial relationships when you're in these these relationships you are giving a part of yourself away you're giving away some of your autonomy like now this person is carrying a part of me and I have to 
be protective of them. And this person is carrying a part of me. And we can spread ourselves very thin, Mm. but we have to be like Silver Surfer and recall back that power when we really need it. We go like, this is in actuality Mm, an action I have to make for myself or a decision I have to make for myself. Mm. I love that. I love that. So part of being a connected person is this giving and taking of your power. I'm here to be there for you, but sometimes I need to be there for myself. My other big takeaway is like, When you look back on your past and you have regrets or you look upon yourself where I go like, oh, I wish I was more organized or I wish I was a better planner or I wish Mm -hmm. I wasn't so sensitive. Like those parts of ourselves, our darkness is actually what reflects our light. So when we look at bad decisions we've made in the past, we should look at them with gratitude. No regrets. Because because those decisions, even though they caused us heartache, make us who we are in the present. And those things about us that we cannot stand are also the mirror image of our strength. So when you find yourself, you find your inner critic, like just gnawing away at you, just go like, I see you, I acknowledge you, Thank you for making me who I am today. But you know what? Inner critic, I'm good. I keep going back to the surfer and having to relearn these lessons, right? Mm-hmm. The being trapped on the Mobius strip. Uh, and like what, what I'm pulling away from these two volumes is the idea that revisitation is essential to growth. Uh, And when you think you know everything about X, whether that's your local town, your favorite movie, your favorite person, uh, it's always good to reevaluate and try to inject a fresh perspective. And it's good to seek out old things and to revisit them. Like it's that rewatching things. Rewatching or re or rereading things, rereading things, uh, certainly rereading things like with Silver Surfer, right? But just reevaluation—that's that's my everything, and and I think we could do more of that. Everyone wants the new, new experience, new experience, new experience. But in revisiting, that's a new experience because when you are actually remembering something, you are remembering it in the context of your narrative that that you were then. Yes. I love that. Everything goes back to our Swamp Thing revelation. Like (laughs) every day, like you are reborn an entirely new person. Mm. Uh, Yes, Alec Holland, you're no more. The Swamp Thing lives. Uh, That's gonna do it for this episode. Uh, We are nearing the end uh, with our conversation regarding Norrin Rad and Don Greenwood, only one more episode to go. Ugh. I'm sorry, Lisa. Uh, but next week, our last week, it's going to be sad. But yeah. it's also going to be 
great. It's such a, it, this is one of those rare uh, storylines that totally sticks the landing. So it is very, very satisfying. And revisiting it, I've discovered all kinds of new and revelatory sure. things. Let's not boohoo just yet though, Lisa, because the next volume might actually be my favorite volume. It's the fifth trade paperback in the Allred and Slot series, AKA Silver Surfer, volume eight, issues seven through 14. And the title is A Power Greater Than Cosmic. Lisa, do you think you're going to be able to deal with this? I'm going to be a weepy mess, but in the best possible way. Yeah, yeah. And so, so will I. So will I. To me, my Brad, it is time to surf the cosmic skyways. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, send them over to at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Thank you very much. I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and iTunes. If you want to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com. There's three W's before that, Lisa. Or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on iTunes. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport Open. Did you ever know that you're my hero? What other uh, Wings references can we make? Is that a Wings reference? I thought that was a Bette Midler reference. You are the wing beneath my I only know the Johnny Carson thing. Maybe that was a Wings song. I don't know. What's the Johnny Carson thing? You know, Bette Midler goes on the last episode of Johnny Carson. She sings that song to Johnny. Yeah, and the and that whole song is The Wind Beneath My Wings is the name of the song. Oh, I thought you meant the band Wings, like <laughs> band on the run. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, we're not deleting any of that. That's good stuff. That's gold. That's podcast gold. <laughs> oh, no.